Hello, James here, and welcome to the podcast. This is a really, really special episode. This is our e-waste 2020 episode. Managed to get a whole bunch of time with the folks over at EnviroServe. That's Dustin Chernowski. We had a great conversation with Stuart Fleming, the group CEO. Had another great conversation with Elias Yayawi. He's the CEO. Had an opportunity to talk to Ronald Viskill. He's a refrigeration expert. We talked to the plant director, Pardam Singsoy, about the plant itself. And we also had a chance to, to have a conversation with Chris Cooper from Lenovo, put this all together with a tour, and we have a fantastic episode talking about all aspects of e-waste in 2020. And the, the sad reality is under 18% of e-waste is actually recycled and repurposed. Those numbers have to change. But a little bit of motivation a lot of interest and a lot to think about all comes out of the podcast you're about to listen to. Enjoy. This is the James cast and our e-waste 2020 special edition. Enjoy. Welcome to the International E-Waste Day podcast with EnviroServe. <laughs> I'm James Pikeway. This is Dustin Chernowski and well, for the next hour, we're going to be talking e-waste. We're going to be talking about why this day is important. And we're going to be talking about why Dubai is one of the world leaders. Or in fact, we have one of, what's it called? What do we call this? This facility? is the recycling hub it's by EnviroServe. And it's yeah one of the, one of the really? most sophisticated, the largest, most advanced electronic waste processing plants in the world. That's the word, processing plant. When we think of recycling, we think of a lot of things, but processing and reprocessing the components is probably not one that we think a lot about. So we've got a great day planned and this is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna show you guys that this is actually a manufacturing facility in reverse. So we're taking things that we would recognize, laptops and desktop computers, um, washing machines, microwaves, hair dryers, you name it. If it takes electricity, it's considered e-waste. And if it's e-waste, it can be processed in this plant. And what we do is basically just crush everything down into granules and put them back into the markets to be turned into new products. So it's a cool process. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Um, we've got some special guests. We're gonna make some introductions to our executive team. We've got some of our, uh, our industry experts lined up. We've got a great show it's for everybody today. It's gonna be a lot of today. fun. So let's get started. All right, let's do it. All right. Let's meet Stuart Fleming, the group CEO at EnviroServe, to hear a little bit about the story of EnviroServe, how we met, and where he sees things going. This is Stuart Fleming. And the, the question then always becomes, well, how'd you get into this 15 years ago, right? It and was amazing, wasn't it? it was, uh, and, and you were right there. You picked up on it uh, um, on the very early days, James. Um, I don't know where, the, where, where it was or through who and what that uh, you came to understand about EnviroServe in those, uh, in those early days, but um, uh, you know, it, it all made a difference. Those, yeah. uh, those, um, those various hour or twos in the evening that we spent <laughs> chatting about this crazy thing called collecting mobile phones, um, you know, look what, it's, uh, look what it's ended up as, and it's well, been an amazing journey. Stuart, why did you start in the first place? What was the bug that got into you to say, okay, I want to go down this road of, of e-waste? Yeah, you know, over the years it's become, um, it's become prevalent that my brain works in a very, very uh, interesting way as regards ideas. I mean, I've just popped an idea 
to you today, which yeah. is which which came to me uh, yesterday. And um, environment was something that uh, came to me uh, as regards the refrigerant gas, which was the mm. original uh, concept of of Enviroserve, was the recovery and reclaiming of refrigerant gas. And um, and from then onwards, it was anything environmental. Wherever the idea came from, yeah. um, whether it was through global corporates that I understood in America or in the U.S. or in uh, sorry or in, in Europe, where uh, the 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 industry was uh, was stable and and set, established, or it was uh, a magazine where I first saw that a mobile phone, hand in your broken <laughs> mobile phone, you get a few pounds for it, which made me think, well, there must be something in this. And thus started the uh, the electronic waste side of things with those very first mobile phones. It's, it's, it's 2020. Wow. When you look back and you look at this road that we've gone, I mean, from where you started with EnviroServe to where we are today, we're like, we're sitting in this, uh, first time I've ever been to this facility, it's brand new. It, it, it blows my mind. We've walked through, I've, I've seen the sorting, I've seen the crushing, I've, I've had a talk with, with the folks about you know, cleaning refrigerant gas. And I, the, the whole time, my mouth's wide open and I'm just going, wow, wow. What goes through your mind as you think about all this? Well, Brian Wilkie and I have been together through this journey uh, of 16 years together. And um, we're, we're akin to many things. And the biggest thing to both of us in those early days in 2004 was the UAE needed something green. Not just mm. talking about it, not just consulting, but actually doing something about the environment within which we, we, we live and, and operate. Um, Brian and I have been here a long time. This is our home. The UAE is home to many, many millions of people. And Brian and I uh, were certainly of, of an agreement that something had to happen on the green uh, initiative. So that started uh, in Varasov, and uh, the journey has been longer than expected. <laughs> it's been... Uh, what, what got in the way of, I mean, at, at, when, you, when you think of the early days, you and Brian, and you're talking about this, and you're starting things going, and, and you know, there's, there's uptake. People are listening. People are joining in. They're saying, yeah, we got to do this. But you're, you, you said, I mean, even today when we, we look at the stats, you know, 2019, 17.4% of e-waste is actually being recycled or reused. That's a lot that isn't. What, from your perspective, and you know, obviously we situate ourselves here in the UAE, mm. what has slowed things down in, in yeah. your mind? I think what's, let's work on what's, what's, what's sped it up a bit, mm -hmm. is that in 2004, there was no environment manager or a CSR director. There was no such uh, beast in, in, in big corporates. and So, so who did you have to talk to to get people to buy in? The, that's right, the general manager or the yeah. warehouse guy or whatever it was going, hey, we can save you money. That was mm. the, uh, the motto of Enviroserve in those <laughs> days was Enviroserve, saving you money, which we were doing with the refrigerant gas. When it came to the electronic waste, we had um, the warehouse person or we had an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer, driving things forward. So that sped things up. The minute we opened our doors to electronic waste, the solution was available to mm. the, uh, the major manufacturers going, this is now a compliant process. There's something that has, uh, that has started. Um, and what the, what the UA needs, because we are, as you said, we're here in the UA, what we need now is that uh, developed um, countries' regulations and legislation enforced. Mm. You know, 
the remember the old days when uh, there was no traffic cameras? Yeah. But the speed limit was 120, <laughs> but nobody did 120. So we we as we we are we are humans, and unless there is some enforcement and there is some um, uh, some some regulations in place, we'll do 160 on the motorway. But with cameras every half kilometre, everybody's doing 120 or 140. Mm. So the same thing with electronic waste. Uh, what's sped it up has been awareness about e-waste globally amongst uh, the big corporates. And what slowed it down is this continual sort of trade rather than a proper compliant processing. Uh, so okay. that's, what we're, that's what we're tackling right now. And that's where the government has turned uh, uh, to us. Um, the then Minister of Environment, um, His Excellency Dr. Tani El Zayudu, who's now the uh, Minister of State for Foreign Trade, saw this facility just after he'd come back from Davos and mentioned us in Davos at the Economic oh, Forum fantastic. in Davos saying there's, we have a 39,000 ton plant now for electronic waste. And when he saw it, like everybody, their eyes are wide open going, this is fantastic. This is sustainability. And mm. this is at the core of, of strategy 2021, Expo 2020, et cetera, et cetera. So these things are speeding it up. When, when I walk around this plant, there aren't too many plants like this around the world. Like you are one of, of uh, really a handful of yep. organizations that are doing this. Yeah, there's only six of these globally. And we're the only one in the Middle East, Africa, Caucasus and subcontinent uh, Asia. So the nearest one is Hong Kong or the nearest one is Germany. Um, so that was all part of the plan and the strategy was, was to be first to market. Mm -hmm. First to market is always important. Um, capture that... Uh, that bound the boundaries, which are the Middle East, Africa, and the Caucasus primarily. And the idea of building this as a project started in 2014. And in parallel, um, off we went to Africa and explored, uh, explored Africa and put the, uh, the hub and spoke system together. So what you see here is, as we call it, the recycling hub and uh, the hub-and-spoke logistics system from my old days of DHL <laughs> and Brian's old days of Memo Express are still alive. So those spokes in Kenya, Rwanda, tremendous stories, fantastic stories of, of developing those uh, operations uh, from Cape Town to Tbilisi. Those are our, our spokes, and uh, they continue to, to feed the, the, the hub here in uh, UAE. One of the things that I found really exciting is the reuse side of things. Now, obviously, there are organizations like Apple who do not want their products to to leave the recycling plant in a full form. They want it broken down, and, and that's great. But there are other people who are, are sending product in who are saying, hey, if it can be recycled, you know, some of the banks are sending in computers, you wipe them, you, you know, do everything to put it back into a running order, and they said, hey, we, we want this to be used again. And the, the ability you have through your hub-and-spoke system to not only recycle and bring in recyclable products, but to bring in products to reuse, and then using that system, getting them to people and organizations and countries that benefit from this technology that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get, afford, or have. It's, yes. it's pretty exciting. It is. It's, uh, it, it's another twist to the whole environmental and sustainability yeah. is, is, <laughs> is the reuse. And um, it's a growing, developing, global industry, uh, subtitled ITAD, ITAD, uh, for the disposition of, of, of assets that are, that are still uh, valuable mm. to somebody somewhere. And uh, we, 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 we've um, we, we implemented a, a formal process uh, years ago on this. 
Um, we have the dealer network now, and where every single container that goes out of, of reusable, refurbished uh, laptops, I know somebody's going to benefit from that somewhere in the world, and I'm happy about it. You got the biggest smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice balance between commercialization of, of uh, recycling, which is a difficult model. I mean, really. I mean, I don't, I don't think, when I think of recycling, I don't think of that commercialization mm. side of it. And when I do think of it ever so briefly, the complications of it. It is, it's very complicated. And that, that's the recipe. That's the, uh, that's the mix that's in the kitchen. And we've got that mix and that recipe correct so much so that we've got countries uh, coming to Envirosurf saying, not only do you like your ethos and your, uh, the way that you do business, but uh, you've got a really good recipe, a dynamic and vibrant and unique method uh, of baking that cake and uh, we've got countries uh, that are, 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 are coming to us saying can we have your name on our on our building in in so and so country wow so you that's got to make you that's got to make you really feel good yeah there's a little bit of a shiver down my spine <laughs> and sort of that, that type of thing but um you know we've got a great team here that are supporting uh, supporting each other and that's where it all starts, uh, James, is, is the people that, that are here. And uh, it's been, um, it's been a, a long process uh, where you've got to balance that economy uh, mm. between this, this environmental sustainability. Sure. Economic cycles that have gotten in the way. And, yeah. and we, we've both seen companies come and go in those economic cycles. What you're doing, like you said, it slows down a little bit, mm -hmm. but it manages to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's, you know, 2007 or eight, we had a bit of a, a, yeah. a, a bumpy ride. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a bumpy ride with, uh, with, um, with the, uh, the current situation here. COVID and and made the strong survive. And uh, yeah. good, you know, hats off to those that, uh, that will make it through and, uh, and, and uh, adapt. And that's what it's all about is uh, the team here adapted in March, on March the 21st to be exact. I remember that meeting. And the adapt, ad, adapting to the, the situation was immediate and uh, you could see it on the bottom line. Where do you see things going? I mean, uh, you know, when we look at the stats, I, I was really surprised actually when I was looking at, you know, e-waste day. And this is only the second international e-waste day. I mean, I, I, I still can't, I, I thought, oh, okay, well, we're looking at 2020 and it said, yeah, the second. And I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is what's speeding it up. <laughs> Finally, the world's waking up to the actual um, errors of their ways and yeah. you know, throwing away e-waste and what the damage has caused. And it's the same with many things. You know, the, thank goodness we've got um, chemists and, uh, and, and technical people creating these beautiful machines that mm. have done so. They've, they've sent us to the moon and back. They're yeah. sending us to places that we've, uh, you know, we've yet to discover. Um, and that technology is, 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 is incredulous. It's fast moving. Um, but there's got to be the back end of those scientists saying, what do we do and how do we, uh, how do yeah. we, uh, how do we get that stuff back? When I'm thinking, my brain's thinking, well, what about all that e-waste that's uh, floating around us in well, space? Exactly. How am I going to collect that? <laughs> Any ideas out there? More than welcome, James. I, 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 I want to stay with that for just a second and, sure. and sort of look into the future is, you know, we, we, like I said, we're only about 18% of e-waste is actually being recycled, reused. Where, what do you see, where do you see things going to help people to actually start acting on this reusing and recycling in oh. the e-waste? 
I think uh, I think this current uh, COVID situation has woken a lot of people up to all sorts of different things, mm-hmm. and um, I think the, the the world is waking up to we cannot carry on with this imbalance. Uh, people talk circular economy, uh, and they talk about uh, that circular economy is the manufacture of a product, the capture of that product, the fact that it goes to a, a, a resource treatment plant which is what we are, and we need more of those. That's what's going to increase the 17% as resource treatment facilities like ours, not waste management. Mm. Waste management is managing waste. Resource treatment is the new way to go. And getting back to the uh, what's got to change is, is that this has woken up, COVID has woken people up to we cannot continue to be unsustainable in an economy mm. because circular economy has two words. Circular, we've got where in the in the definition of circular economy of manufacture recycle put back into manufacturing where's the word economy there's one thing we've forgotten about is the financial circular economy we haven't been financially circular for many many years Mm. We're, we're manufacturing more money than the actual sovereign that it's based on yeah of each country so it's a it's a very topical discussion of where economy comes into circular economy but it's one that I'm fairly strong on is that everybody's economy is based on a sovereign if you don't have that sovereign wealth the value of that dollar or that uh, that, that currency shouldn't be there yeah. it's being printed and that's not circular so we've got to combine finance into our circular economy I guess the, the more we start Coming, coming to plants like yourself, like what you guys have here at EnviroServe and, and bringing people in, bringing the kids in who are using all these electronic devices and they start seeing where it's going and what we can do with it. I guess that's what really starts to kickstart the, the, the whole process as well. And, and as they start putting the, the, the economy together with you know the, the spending economy and the investing economy and the buying economy and the, hold on, there's a recycle, reuse and... and uh, you know, resource reclaiming economy all built into this. And it I guess, to be. Um, you know, e-waste globally, the figures are out every, every year that the volumes yeah. are increasing more than any other waste stream globally. Yeah. Forget paper and plastic. E-waste is, is by far the largest growing um, waste stream in the world. And why? You know, when you and I grew up, there was a telephone. That's it. There was a one TV and a radio and, and that was in a record player at yeah. home. Now, Every, every room has got uh, three or four screens of some kind. And you know. they all deteriorate. They all break down. They, you know. Uh, I, manufactured I, to break. Yeah. yeah. And then what do you do with it? And I mean, it's, it's funny because you're downstairs and you've got all those computers that you're recycling. I probably have a stack of those sitting at home right now. Yeah. I mean, I, in fact, I do. I know. Yeah. I've, got, I've got eight different computers that are all piled up. And my wife always says, when are we going to get rid of these? And, I, and it's funny because I always say, you know, I, I think EnviroServe takes those. And then it's like, yeah, I got to get in touch with them. And then I close the door and they're still in there. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's I think for me, and I think this is for a lot of people, it's like, I know you're here and we know that there's... There's services out there, but don't remember, oh yeah, okay, how do we get in touch? How do we do this? And and it's so simple. It is, it is very simple. And Leah Sano is working very hard with his team to to access yeah. um, those consumers. Because uh, we talked about where where product comes from. We've got those OEMs who mm-hmm. uh, um, who insist on a on a compliant, secure process, uh, chain of custody, which we have completely down to the fact that you can uh, sit in your office. Um, 
in wherever you are in the world and you can watch your product online being yeah. processed here at, uh, at TRH. That's so pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, it was a, a dynamic shift in the movement to uh, TRH, to yeah. the recycling hub here. The second level is obviously the end user. Right, who has those products that you see downstairs yeah. that are turned over every three to five years. Yeah. And then the third and largest is the domestic market, your vacuum cleaners, your washing machines. See, I always forget others. about those. Oh, man. And there's a lot of those. <laughs> and that's where Laius and his team are working hard to, uh, to, to, um, to allow those domestic users access easily mm. to the EnviroServe services. And mm. that's a difficult logistics uh, um, uh, equation. You know, a vacuum cleaner doesn't have much value to it for a, for a precious metals or, or metallic content. It's a lot of plastic. Mm. And therefore, the cost to collect a, a vacuum cleaner from, uh, uh, from somebody is, is very high. So it's an equation that needs to be, to be balanced. And I know Laius is working hard to, uh, to bring that to the UAE. And uh, from that model, we'll extend that uh, to our operations globally. As we become more attuned to recycling, reusing, and and taking these components, I mean, the precious metals are, are one, but the, the plastic components have some value as well. And, and as we find new uses for them or new processes to take that recycled plastic and, and reconstitute it in some way, I guess that puts you kind of at the forefront because you're constantly talking with those researchers, with those innovators, with those inventors who are looking at process to say, take the plastic from a vacuum cleaner and you know, do something with it to make it work again. You've come on to a very interesting point, James, is that, uh, yeah, there's scientists and tech- technology out there, not in manufacturing a different type of plastic, but also and then they're, they're looking at how we recycle that. So we've yeah. come full circle as regards just... Uh, those scientists and wonderful uh, technicians and engineers who produce the different types of plastic to now those amazing people with amazing brains going, well, let's design the technology to recycle that product. <laughs> and it's coming across our desk as, as, a, um, as one of the top six uh, wow. uh, in, our, in the world. Um, you know, there's only six of these facilities globally, as I mentioned. And, and uh, so these, these type of technologies are being introduced to us from Canada, Funny enough, funny enough, <laughs> all the way through to uh, you know Australia. It's it's uh, it's amazing the, uh, the the growth and this is spe- again speeding things up. And seventeen percent is a terrible figure, I yeah. think, in in twenty twenty, where uh, the damage to the to to the globe, uh, environmentally, to people's health, is so large that we all must wake up um, a lot quicker. To, uh, to what the damage that washing machine or, or that mobile phone is, is doing to our planet. We cannot continue to sustain anything above a 60-40 relationship with Mother Nature. We should be only taking 40% and recycling 60% in urban mining. Anything more than 40% that we're taking out of, out of Mother Nature, she has no chance of recovering. 60-40. Mm. How far off do you think we are? Where do you where do you, where do you look at? I mean, we know where we are at one point. Where where do you see things going in the next five years? Do we're in, we're in the seventies and eighties, you know, and, and and that's a, a terrible figure to be at that we're we're removing from nature more than we can uh, more than she can uh, um, uh, heal. Mm. Uh, you know, everybody's amazed and seeing the videos of of um, the sea. Yeah. Um, in one respect of how much tonnage of, of products of waste is in the sea. But also during COVID, during the lockdown, 
of all these animals and these uh, sea creatures that are suddenly reappearing in, in clearer, clearer seas. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> and that's how quick nature can, can recover. Yeah. But she ain't going to recover if we're taking more than, more than 40% as quickly. One of the things Leah said when I, when I spoke to him was we need a little bit of a kick. And, and one of the kicks that, that he mentioned, and it, it didn't even dawn on me, is how easy it is right now to just to dispose of stuff. So landfill, where a whole bunch of this technology ends up, just because it's simple to walk out to the skip and throw in my water cooler and walk away, because it's only, especially in our country, it's what, 10 durhams, a ridiculous number for a ton or several tons of waste. And, and his, his, you know, his prescription is, well, let's make it really expensive to put stuff into landfill, which obviously fills in nicely with the 60-40 split. And in doing that, it's going to force us to start thinking twice about how we're using products, how we're reusing products, how we're disposing of products, and could have this monumental shift. And, and maybe COVID-19, with all the, you know, the negative things that it's doing, as you said, is getting us to think more. Monumental shift. Absolutely. You know, the world and humans sometimes need to make that dynamic change. They need a monumental shift uh, of, of perception, of understanding, of, uh, of realization, uh, what damage this is, um, this is, this is, has an effect on, on the earth uh, yeah. and on us as humans. And Leas is right, he he's keeps banging on about the, uh, the, 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 the low cost to yeah. throw something away. It's illogical. Um, the logic has been proven globally that uh, the higher the price of throwing something away, the more a human will adapt to saying, well, it has some value and it should be, uh, and I'm not going to pay that much to, to, to dump it into a landfill. I'd rather make sure it goes to a, a processor and, and mm. get it done. Logic. I got to say, we, you know, we've been talking on and off or we, have, we haven't spoken in a few years, I got to say, and I don't know why that is. I don't know how we, how we, how we lost track, but no, we're, we're back we talking now. And I, I remember <laughs> the, those first conversations and yeah. this has been a lot of fun. And I, 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 you know what, you know what leaves me, Stuart, as we're, we're having this conversation is hope. Hope in, in, a, in a good way. And I don't mean, you know, just, but it really, it's, the, what you've put together here, what your team has put together here, it really, it, it creates, there's hope and there's opportunity. And from innovation to experiment to just ideas, it, it's a very exciting time to be doing what you're doing. Thanks, James. Hope, hope is there. Belief is what's kept us all going here. Belief in the idea, belief in logic. Uh, again, I use that word because uh, the UAE is a wonderful country to, to operate a, a, com- a company in, to start a company and to grow it. I'm a strong believer in, in what uh, Hassan Sheikh uh, Mohammed Al Maktoum always says, uh, is that build it and people will come. Mm. It's been a, a, a mainstay <laughs> in, in the whole... You've embraced it. I have. I've embraced it and, uh, and, and it works. And it's, so it's been a delight to, uh, to, to form this hub for the UAE, create a legacy. Brian and I have created another legacy. I mean, he's, he's known for his legacies, Brian, and uh, yeah. uh, to, uh, to have been uh, with Brian for, for 16, 17 years and learning from him um, has been an amazing journey as well. Stuart, thank you very much. James, good to see you. That was Stuart Fleming, the group CEO of EnviroServe. Let's move on to a conversation with Leas Yahyawi. He's the CEO of EnviroServe. and going to talk to us a little bit about waste 
and how he got into this field. Uh, my name is Lia Shahiawi. I'm uh, from Amsterdam. Uh, been here in the UA for the last uh, 14 years and uh, been working in the waste management field for, I think, around 10 years now. Well, how, did, how did you get into waste management? It's, it, when I think of careers, mm-hmm. waste management is not usually the first career I think of. It's not a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> or, you know, your uh, son-in-law dream job. But, uh, I mean, uh, waste management, I was introduced to it through uh, my first company in UAE. I worked in culture, which is cleaning company. Mm-hmm. And when you work in cleaning industry, you're always in touch with waste management, facility management, you know, it's all small words. So, and then after that, I moved to Suez, which is uh, one of the biggest, biggest or the second biggest waste management company in the world, this French company. And they work in the subsidiary in uh, the UAE in Dubai, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi as well. And uh, from there, yeah, I started my career after that, moved to Dulsco, uh, also as a CEO for uh, waste management. And uh, from there, I worked there three, three and a half years, and I moved to uh, uh, EnviroServe now in more specialized waste. I mean, it's all waste, but... Well, that's the thing. Waste is not waste. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's exactly. waste, but there's a big difference. And, and when we start <coughs> talking about electronics, it's a whole new ballgame. Exactly. Uh, I mean, people, or myself including, we need really to differentiate nowadays between waste and resources. What used to be waste in the past, which is general waste, which people call us, second name is garbage, is yeah. no more garbage. We have waste, which is now becoming probably 10 to 20% of the original waste. That's it? Exactly. Wow. But because now 80% of the resources or the waste is being recycled. Mm. Uh, recyclables, plastic, carton, food waste, uh, solid waste, liquid, everything is being recycled. So e-waste is one of them. It's now becoming a resource. So e-waste is no more waste. It's a resource which people should consider a resource and should consider as a raw material. So hold on, we, we consider waste both as a resource and as a raw material. Yeah, it's a resource means it's, it's now it's a waste, it will be processed, become raw material, and it's, it's a resource to build new phones, build new TVs, new, uh, uh, new iPhones, and so forth. Yeah. So when we start thinking about e-waste, this, I mean, I've, I've walked through the plant here. Yeah. This is really complex. Yeah. How do we start getting our minds around the idea that both we're, it's, what we're looking at is a resource and it's a recyclable? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, we don't ask also from the, 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 the general public to understand the whole process, of course, of re, uh, recycling a, a phone or a computer or, or, or. We just want them to understand that it's whatever you have in your hand, don't throw it in the garbage bin, mm. but just get it to a recycling facility. It's raw material. It's whatever your phone is made of three months ago or a year ago when it was new. Those materials, are you have it in your hand, just need to be reshaped and retransformed to back what it was used to be. And then we can take it back to the factory and make a new phone. It's, it's easy for me to visualize the, the packaging that I'm getting with my potatoes, putting that into the recycler. Yeah. 
when I think of my old Nokia, when I think of my old keyboard, when I think of, you know, COVID-19, people have got light sets. Exactly. I think of my light set that I'm now getting rid of. Effects machine. I don't think <laughs> of those things in terms of necessarily recycling. I just think of put it by the garbage and it's, 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 it's it gets taken Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, it's easier to, to, to think about uh, a phone as e-waste to be recycled because if you crack a phone or a computer and just open it, what do we see? We see a board mm. with metal on it, aluminium, copper, gold, all those materials, you can see them. Just somebody need to break them down and send them to the factory again to make new phones. So it's, it's, it's not very difficult to visualize. What's more challenging in the market nowadays is that people, just before taking a piece of electronic, throw it in the garbage bin just to wait. This is not waste. How, it's resource. How do we get people to do that? How do we get that into their head? This is, this is the job of everybody, including ourselves, Awareness programs, I mean, UAE is, is, is very active, especially Dubai, they're very, very active in terms of awareness. In, uh, the, if you know, the, there is a project called uh, My City, My Environment, which was implemented in Jumeirah. All the Jumeirah area, they have two bins, one for recyclables and one for uh, general waste. So all these are, 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 fa- are facts which is being introduced and implemented in the market to make sure that people are aware of that this is not a waste. But it's, it's, uh, it's e-waste is a part of the awareness program. We focus on e-waste because it's our specialty, mm-hmm. but the awareness program includes all recyclables, paper, plastic. And, and now people think when they see a plastic bag or plastic water bottle, they think, oh, it's a recyclables. So this is what we are aiming to do with e-waste. So what we are doing, we are th- through our marketing department, we are uh, having a monthly awareness program on uh, social media, on, uh, on, on different uh, on radio, for example, what we are doing now, and make sure that the people, bit by bit, understand that this is a resource. They are, if they do that, if they segregate the e-waste, it's not for me or for them, it's for their kids. You know, and that, that becomes that challenge, isn't it? I'm, I'm always blown away by the, the amount of e-waste, you know, a record, I've got a, a st- st- statistic here that's coming from the WE Forum that's, that's mm-hmm. looking at 53.6 million metric tons of electric waste was generated worldwide in 2019, up 21% in just five years. Yeah, and, oh. it's, going, and it's going only to increase. I mean, these are spectacular numbers. Yeah. We're talking about uh, a general individual, if I'm not wrong, they have more than 13 kilogram of e-waste on a, on a yearly basis. We're talking about everybody has nowadays a phone, two phones uh, with cables, with earplugs, with uh, chargers. Every device has that. Go to the iPad or a bigger device, a laptop, a TV, and the life cycle of each electronic device is becoming shorter and shorter. Yeah. We use them more, so the life cycle is shorter. What, hap- what, ha- what means that you need to buy more electronics in a short time? What happened to the old ones? A lot of people keep them just yeah. keeping them. They yeah. might use them, but n- I mean, nobody's using them. Next time when they move out of the house, they found a box of electronic waste. This, oh, throw it in the garbage. No, please don't do that. It's, it's because this e- the e-waste, one of my reasons I moved from 
general waste management to the specialized waste management or resource management is that the resources are big or the e-waste is becoming higher and higher and higher. Generation of e-waste, is, it's incredibly, this is one of the highest uh, increasing waste uh, quantity yeah. nowadays because people are becoming more uh, e or electronically connected. Well, and everything's electronic, ev- isn't it? Everything is electronic. Everybody has two phones, has a, f- a laptop or two, have a TV, a radio, and, and, and. So this is, for me, one of the reasons I moved to specialized waste. Why? Because we need to make sure that this waste, and it's easy to achieve because we have here in Varsov, we have a huge facility who can recover up to 96% of any device which is phenomenal i mean we we walked through with with dustin at the very beginning where there's bags and bushels of everything Everything. from fax machines to tvs to and that's after the sorting stage of getting rid of the stuff that can be reused and it is just enormous exactly what's there it's it's uh, i mean like i said it's one of the most increasing waste quantities generated by the public so this is one our goal and day-to-day business to make sure that public and companies, uh, industrial and commercial and individual domestic use are aware that this is the future. Please make sure to dispose it correctly, bring it to us or to any other e-waste facility. They will process it correctly. We will send it to the factory and we'll make a new electronic out of it. Mm. And this is the future. The, the, the scary side is some of the stats on collected and recycled e-waste again, from, from 2019, looking globally, is about 18%. Exactly. Do you, do you feel, do you get a sense that we're getting better at this, that we're becoming more aware, that we're becoming more sensitive to this kind of waste? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's an, we are advancing, but not the, 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 the speed we want to. It's we are, let's say we are in the 80s in terms of plastic and cartons. Wow. Paper. What we used to be in the 80s, it used to be also 9%, 10%, 20%, and so now it's up to 70 to 80%. We are at that stage. But because the, the quantity of e-waste is increasing more than the recyclables in the 80s were increasing because using more than the, the, we have 7 billion individuals on the world, on, on Mother Earth, all these factors make sure, may, are, are, are making a bit urgency on the matter that people need to uh, 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 need to be aware quicker than we have time in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We should make sure as government, companies, entities, uh, 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 countries, we need to do more to make sure that the, uh, all parts of the uh, society are aware of this. I don't call it an issue, but it's an urgency. It's, 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 it's a matter of, it's a very important matter. I don't want to call it a matter of life but it's 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 very important people need to make to make sure they are segregating it's not only e-waste other uh, other ways but e-waste is very important i'm i'm one of the things that i that i constantly wonder about is okay so how do we get increased uptake and how do we get the population to actually get motivated to do this because we know it's out there we talk about it we show images and and on and on and on and we talk about the resources that can be taken from this e-waste and we talk about batteries and other things and what can happen when it goes into landfill yet 
like you said, we're still in the 80s. In some ways, we're in the 70s in our thinking. For example, yeah. Do you think, and, and this is again, I'm lead, this is a leading question, but I, I, in looking what EnviroServe does, do you think the way forward, and you guys are doing this, and that's why I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to say, absolutely, this is the way to go. Do you think it's, it's yes, we, we need to create awareness amongst individuals, amongst the, amongst the community, but do you think business actually plays a big role in promoting that? So the Lenovo's, the Unilever's, the, you know, the, uh, all, you, you start going down the line of all of our companies that are creating products, selling stuff. Do you think it becomes in those organizations with them championing, championing e-waste and promoting that with their employees who then take that mindset home? Do you think that's the way to make this catch? That's definitely the way to go, not only, but one of the most important ways to go. For example, the Lenovo's and the, the, the bigger company, IBM's and Apple's, and they have, they have a big role to play because they are the generators are the, the mm. producer of e-waste. So once Lenovo sell a computer, when they get, get the old one back, yeah. send it to us. So that you already recycle a laptop. You already guarantee the next laptop is being produced at zero cost. Right. So for them, financially, it's very, very attractive because they're going to sell it. The waste is being, has a value at this moment. Secondly, it's a CSR. It's a social responsibility. You should also, as doing business, part of doing business, giving back. But in this, uh, with e-waste, you don't give money back. You earn money back. It's just the fact uh, okay. of giving it. Yeah. So this is true. And the third very, very important factor as well is that uh, it's, it's not moving that fast. And I, I agree with you, but what, what needs to happen now, for example, is that it, the landfill fees are very low, especially in the Middle East. Uh, they are very low. That's so a big deterrent to exactly, recycling, isn't it? Exactly. So the, f- the, 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 the financial factor is not there to make companies and especially individuals instead of throwing it in the garbage, which is very cheap, mm-hmm. to s- sell it or take it to a recycling facility. So when the landfill fees are now they're being, um, they're being uh, uh, tackled and they're being managed uh, probably this year, end of this year, beginning of the next year, we hope that landfill fees will, the new landfill fees will, in, will, will, will start and we'll have, let's say, a, a, a normal landfill fees instead yeah. of uh, 10 dear hamper, uh, six tons, which is nothing. When we have those numbers and uh, the, it will become very expensive to send garbage or waste to the landfill fees, everybody will go backwards and see, okay, it's too expensive, so what, what's, what are we going to do about it? Make sure that generators, me and you, segregate that source home. And then it will cost us less to take it to the landfill and it will bring us money by selling the recyclables or giving it away. How, how do we educate the public? And maybe it's not educate, it's inform them. Because one of the things that I constantly hear from people when we talk about recycling electronics and, and other things is this distrust. Now, the distrust is not that it's coming to a plant like this and be recycled, but people don't see the plants. They don't see... They, they, see them, happening. They, they see themselves dropping off the product, but they don't see where it's going. And you'll always hear people who say... I wonder if it's just a truck taking it to the landfill. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear these questions a lot, and uh, that's why we have uh, programs within EnviroServe with schools to make students from schools come and visit us. Public are very, very welcome to come in 
every person who brings anything, even a small phone, is are very welcome to witness this destruction, to see it being recycled, to see the machines working, to see what happened with it after that. So all these are, are are visible and can be can be assessed by each individual every day. This we do. Uh, most importantly, as well, is that what we 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 uh, we need to do. The public need to to uh, to make sure if they have any 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 interrogation or mistrust to contact the companies we have a website we have a, a, a video uh, a live stream mm. how we destroy how we process our so all these kind of thing can be uh, can be answered by the companies other side the companies like us who recycle e-waste but not only e-waste should be also very transparent what's happening not beyond class, beyond closed doors but what happened to the uh, to the to the waste when it uh, recyclables resources when they come into the warehouse? It's it should be visible. Uh, it sh- uh, what we do with the schools. We have a lot of programs with schools that they come to us. They visit the the facility. They see what's how the process is uh, is being handled by us, and they see what happened to the e-waste after that. So all these are factors from both sides, from the generators, which is the individuals and comp- individuals and companies and the treaters, which is us, to make sure that this, what, we, what people call prob, uh, a problem or challenge, are not, it's not a problem anymore. It's a mm. resource. When all is said and done, you keep coming to work every day, you've got a huge smile on your face. What excites you most about what you see coming in the future in this, in this in- enterprise that you're engaged in? It's, um, it's, it's not um, what... What I like about this work, that's one of the reasons I moved from general waste management to specialized waste management, is that uh, this is still a very, very uh, uh, in developing. So the the waste is still there and the waste is increasing, e-waste is increasing per day. Um, And uh, the number of people on the world is increasing, so we need to find solution. The solution, we have it, but we need to make sure everybody is aware of it and Contributing mm. for me is a contribution of everybody. The, cha- the, the, the challenges was people think how do, you, but so many difficult. No, it's not difficulty for me. It's a work, but it's a hobby as well because we I'm helping the future of my kids and my grandkids. Leas, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. That was Leas Yahyawi. He is the CEO of EnviroServe right here in Dubai. We've had an interesting conversation so far about e-waste, recycling, reclaiming elements, and more. Let's change gear just a little bit, and let's have a conversation with the industry side, the industry side that is creating the products that ultimately become e-waste, and how they're partnering with groups like EnviroServe to make their products a little bit more environmentally friendly. Let's have a conversation with Dr. Chris Cooper. He's at Lenovo. He's the general manager of the data center group right here in Dubai. Thanks, James. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm really, this is, this to me is very interesting because as we were, were talking, as we were leading into this conversation, 
you painted the picture that there is so much going on from your perspective with with respect to the creation of these environments and the devices that go with them that it, it it's it's not as simple as hey we've got this thing that we need to 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 move out of of circulation and and do something with it's really quite a complex ecosystem that you're working within yeah, I mean, if we think just, just traditionally where we've come from to where we are today, and then let's look going forward what's happening and, and what's being predicted by the likes of Gartner and IDC. So, you know, we work in an environment in the data center business whereby traditionally customers will write off their assets, their IT assets, over a period normally of five years. Okay? They'll maybe look at refreshing after three, but really they're trying to to stretch them out to a, to a five-year period. What then happens at the end of that five-year period? Okay, what yeah. happens to those assets? Then they remain in their data centers. And then as they look at new infrastructure, what happens to that old infrastructure? It's not something you can just park outside because you've got data on there that's possibly got customer information, highly secure data. There's legislation around that and governance around the data. So you can't just put it in the bin. Even if you could, you've also got to think about the environmental side of it as well. So we've come from this challenge and it's proliferating. It's getting more and more challenging. If we look at what's forecast and what's happening, there's a huge explosion of new data. We all hear about it. But where's it coming from? It's coming from this proliferation of huge numbers of new devices getting connected. So you know, as it stands today, IDC predict that by 2025, there will be... 80 billion devices connected to the internet. That's a vast increase on what we have today. 80 billion devices that have a five-year lifespan that are going to be looking at a dumpster or a storage facility or something in that period. Yeah, a lot of them actually have a, a shorter lifespan because when we're talking about internet-connected devices, you know that could be mobile phones, yeah? It could be laptops. So often you're looking at a much shorter period, okay? Yeah. Um, anything electronic. So the, the challenge we have is as we've got this proliferation of new devices, and there's also this move towards the edge, okay? And what that means, it's about the shift from traditional data centers. So at the, as it stands today, um, Gartner say that 10% of the data that's generated and computed is actually done outside of our traditional data centers or cloud. That's 10% today. But what they're predicting is that by 2022, that number will increase to 50%. Wow. And then by 2025 to 75%. So think about the backdrop we have of all these huge data centers built everywhere and cloud infrastructures. We all know about the hyperscalers and how they're providing huge services to all vertical economies. At the same time, you've got all these new devices coming in and this real shift towards generating and computing that data outside of data centers. So you've got even more infrastructure to manage. And again, a lot of these devices have a shorter lifespan. I mean, I'll ask you, James, you know, I have in my home that I use two mobile phones, two different numbers, okay? How many old mobile phones do you have sat in your drawers at home? Yeah, I've, I've got a dozen. I counted them before we came on. A dozen, not to mention the seven computers, three tablets, and you know a couple of game consoles and things I just don't actually know what to do with. There's a few old appliances in a box. 
Absolutely. So they're, they're, they're just gathering dust. They're using up space. They're getting in the way. It's not that you, you still love those devices and you want to hang on to them, but generally it's because there's data on there. You wouldn't want it getting into the wrong hands or you feel like there's still some asset value in there. So the beauty of working with the likes of EnviroCert, it ticks so many boxes. So it allows us to look at what we call the circular economy. Okay, so that's about taking devices out of the field that need to be retired. Maybe there's some asset value in those and that asset value can go back to the owner or maybe it's just simply a case of disposing of them, but environmentally safely. You know, we only have to look at some of the challenges. You look at the US um, Environmental Protection Agency. They say to date, 80 or sorry, 70% of electronic waste, or actually I'll rephrase that, 70% of the overall toxic waste that's stored actually comes from electronic waste. Wow. 70% of the toxic waste today. And at the moment, only about 12.5% of that is properly recycled. Now that's, that's alarming for anyone. And we know this, this issue is going to get bigger and bigger. So we have to be doing things about it now. So it requires you know, the government standards, the legislation. How, how does this factor in? As you, as you mentioned, there is there's a, a, a huge quantity of this computing, as we were talking about cloud and, and more, that's going to be happening, increasing off off-site from the, the huge data centers that's coming. How are, as Lenovo and how are, are you guys dealing with these realities? And as you said, that reality that you need to deal with these components at some point, how does that factor in to what you do as an organization and to your organizational thinking? That's a really good point and good question. So we, we have a corporate social responsibility as Lenovo, and quite frankly, I think every IT vendor does, and every partner that's selling IT infrastructure, we have a corporate social responsibility to educate our customers on what can be done with that infrastructure. So for example, in the data center business, you know, we'll talk to an end user customer or a managed service provider that's providing cloud infrastructure. And one of the first challenges will often be they've got aging infrastructure sat in their existing data center, mm. it's turned off, it's not using electricity, but it's using valuable floor space. And they need that floor space because they need to bring in refresh technology. So what do they do with it? So we can then broker the relationship with the likes of EnviroServe and bring in an organization that can take a look at that infrastructure, determine if there's an asset value, guarantee the integrity in the way that the data is safely destroyed. I mean, there are some stories we know of customers in our region where you know, I know of a customer who has been taking aging infrastructure and literally dumping it in the desert and driving bulldozers over it backwards and forwards to try and ensure that the data that's stored on that device, on that machine, is not readable by anyone else. Mm. You know, I hear of other stories of another industry vertical whereby they've got customer data on old storage devices and to remove that, to feel like they're safely secure, removing it and, you know, and covering themselves from a data perspective, they're actually dropping those disks in the sea. Mm. And I'm sorry to say this, but these things alarmingly are happening. This is not just around this region. This is a global issue. And we all have a corporate social responsibility to help address that. But it's about education and a changing mindset.
When when we we th- start thinking about the the challenges that you face with with the partners that you work with, you, you talked about putting some of these things in the desert and driving over them with the tractors, throwing them in the water to help erase data. Is is that one of the big issues with uptake of of this whole idea of of taking these these devices? And these these pieces to an organization like EnviroServe, fear of how that that data will be erased, disposed of, etc. Just really misunderstandings because when you walk through EnviroServe, as you have, you've seen the banks of erasers that they have that go through track by track yeah. by track of hard drives and simply yeah. destroy any data. And they certify it and they send you. Yeah. But I think the biggest challenge here, James, is the educational side of it. Mm. Our customers are not aware of the facility and not aware of what can be done to protect them and their own assets. And, and it's it's just a case of getting them to understand this facility is there. I mean, it's here. It's yeah. here in the UAE. It's an amazing facility. Uh, it's here. It's up and running. It's available to everyone to use. Um, again, I come back to it. It really is about the education and explaining, getting that messaging out there. But also I think getting the messaging out there that we all have a corporate social responsibility around this as well. One, one of the things that I, that I found really interesting and I find really interesting when I look at a, a facility that EnviroServe is running is the not just the amount of you know reprocessing of things, so breaking it down to its plastic components and getting the gold out and the copper out and, and stuff, yeah. which, is, which is a huge piece of what they do but also the reusable, you know, the reprocessing yeah. or the, the the taking of, you know, when we're talking about these these devices. Last time I was at EnviroServe, I'm walking through a section where they're reprocessing things and they're refurbishing things, and they had hundreds, hundreds of monitors that they were yeah. repackaging and sending to Kenya, sending to Nigeria, to places where you know these things are perfectly operational and work well and and bring them light years ahead in some of their organizations. That's another big piece of it, isn't it? Yes, it's a massive piece of it. And again, you know, when, when we talk about disposing of things, there are certain things that don't have to be disposed. They can be reused. And again, it comes back to this statement about the circular economy. Mm. It's about you know, which of those assets could be reused, refurbished, reused, maybe even rewarranted potentially. Yeah. Because again, there's a lot of re- resources there that you know still have life in them but you know it can be components of an overall system and it's identifying which are the components that can be reused so so how do we start you know as as you said with lenovo and with what you guys are doing you, you know you've got a huge csr project that that works alongside all of this how how do you mean you're a big organization how do smaller organizations get started in this what would your advice be to them in this whole thought process, in this kind of reprogramming of the way we deal with electronic waste? I, I mean, honestly, as an example, I would encourage every end user organization just to reach out to EnviroServe and get an understanding of what they can do for them. This doesn't have to be the large corporates. This can be the small to medium business that's looking at removing, you know, three or four PCs, yeah, laptops that you know, they just don't know what to do with the data, don't know what to do with those devices. You know, they'll happily assist with that. It may be there's no asset value, but at least they will then know that it's been safely disposed of and done where the data is securely erased. 
Very interesting. Uh, do, do you see hope as, I mean, you, you gave us some great dates on the, the amount of equipment that is going to be generated and the, the, where this is going in the next 10 years. Are you hopeful, Chris, with, with where things oh, are going? Absolutely. Look, change creates opportunity, James. And as I say, it really does boil down to local legislation and government standards. If you look at what the UAE government is doing and their focus on HPC and AI and blockchain, they are so forward thinking. So they're already on the button. And I am sure that the standards will continue to evolve and strengthen to basically mandate. I mean, we know the way that things happen in this part of the world. You know, it's through mandating things in the correct manner. It's all about being environmental. It's about doing the right thing for the end user customer, managing data correctly, safely. So I, I very strongly believe that certainly in the UAE, we're in a very strong position to take advantage of the facilities that are here. And let's remember, those facilities at EnviroSurf have been heavily endorsed and sponsored by the UAE government for good reason. Chris, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure, James. Thanks once again. That was Dr. Chris Cooper, the general manager of the data center group at Lenovo here in Dubai, which really is a wonderful segue into, so how does this environment that EnviroServe has created in Dubai to deal with e-waste actually work? So the question one must have is, so what does the plant here in Dubai that EnviroServe has created What's the, the overall picture of what it looks like and what it does? To help us understand that, we're going to have a chat with the plant director, Pardam Singh Soy. What you're looking at is actually a combination of modules, which is building up this entire beautiful plant, electronic waste recycling plant. Uh, this plant has been built over an area of 120 square feet, and it's a combination of various modules, and we're able to extract commodities out of your domestic waste, which is could be anything related to household, industrial, or batteries, or any air conditioning units. Anything can be dealt with by this plant to the capacity of 39,000 tons a year. Yeah. And uh, just for information, we have been the winners of uh, best electronic waste recycler for the last two years consecutively. And we look forward to winning the third one in a row. So, so what am I looking at as I look out this way? What are we seeing? So here you see various modules, uh, the linkages of, um, with conveyor belts, there are the shredders, there are uh, sifters, there are milling machines, there are air tables. It's a combination of uh, machinery combined together by 150 plus motors almost 300 meters of conveyors, you know, interlinking each other, six modules. And also it's clean because the entire dust is also been collected with a network of pipes, which is running all throughout the plant. So as you see on the farther end of the plant, you have the input section, wherein all your domestic waste is fed in using specialized equipment. We've got the grabbers and we've got pushers for that. That's where the, Machine, uh, machinery takes care of sorting out the harmfuls and feeding it to the pre-shredder. Subsequently, it's a two-stage shredding, which thereafter liberates the material. And we come to the second part of the plant, which is all about segregation. Herein, the 
material mix which has been shredded is segregated into various commodities like plastic, aluminium, iron, copper. Um, we have got also a mix of PCBs. In fact, we have got a machine which uses artificial intelligence and a combination of air which is able to sense out from a mound of um, destructed material PCBs and that's how you can have clean PCB fragments as an output. It's a very valuable output. As we stand here on top of this module, this is a module which is able to generate and churn out eight different type of outputs. So it's a technological marvel built here only for the GCC region, but caters even for beyond. We have also built in HSC features for this plant wherein it's loud but not harmful to the employee. I think among the notable have, are the enclosures which you see, they are all soundproof enclosures. The, all the heavy machinery is enclosed inside the soundproof enclosures. And the dust pipes network which you see on top is also serving a dual purpose. One is to extract all the dust out so that from an HSC perspective, none of the employees are exposed to harmful metallic dust. And from the other perspective that it is able to generate and recover even the last bit of material because the dust also contains particulate matter, which, which is a part of the recyclable output. Very interesting. Yeah. What's your favorite part of this plant? Uh, well, we are standing on standing one of on. them, yeah. <laughs> it's an octopus, very fondly named octopus because it's got eight outputs. Yeah, and uh, eight outputs also further are divided into various sizes. And that brings about the efficiency. The more the categories and the more efficient the process becomes. That was Pardam Singh Soy. He is the plant director right here in Dubai at EnviroServe. So we've had a conversation with the folks at EnviroServe. We've had a conversation with industry. We've had a nice little bird's eye view of this EnviroServe e-waste plant. It's time that we got our feet wet. We walked down onto the floor and we had a look around. Who better to guide us through that? The trade director of EnviroServe here in Dubai, Dustin Chernowski. This is the refurbishment center where anything that still has some useful life left to it, okay, will come here. They say the highest form of sustainability is reuse. Absolutely. So there's no sense shredding great computers and printers and laptops. So we can bring them in here, fix whatever needs fixing and give them a second life. And how do you then get those back into the system? So how, you know, how do you retail them back out? How does that work? So we'll typically work through agents right. that will buy a container, a shipping container full of computers, maybe 3,000 pieces. Okay, and that'll go into secondary markets like Pakistan. Yep. Uh, we have EnviroServe Rwanda, EnviroServe Kenya. So we can send an entire container down there and they will work directly with NGOs, schools, small businesses to get them high quality computers at a cheap price. But a, a funny thing about secondary markets is even the kids in Africa now don't even want the iPhone 5. <laughs> That's how fast things are, are accelerating. Amazing. So yeah, they want all the latest, the i5s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is a second generation. They want now the fourth and fifth generation um, iPads. But the most important part of anything that's uh, containing data is the erasure process. So any data carrying devices, this is your mobile phones, laptops, desktops. Yes. But even printers can carry data from the last photocopies that you've made, the last thing that you've sent to print. Um, so wiping the data is a huge part of it, which is why you're in a secure room 
within a secure division, within a secure building, within a secure property. Yeah. Okay, the cost of a data breach can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can imagine. It's, it's very manual as well, that process. Um, physically setting all of this up, uh, whilst once you've hit go, you're pretty much in the place. It, it's, it's a unit by unit scenario. So, so well, coincidentally, you can. In you fact, can. was just wow. speaking with somebody yesterday who's developed a process for remote wiping wow. that we're going to start to uh, promote. But basically, this is a typical hard drive that you would get out of your desktop computer. Okay, that will attach to this one, which is called a workstation. But this can handle up to 12 different hard drives. So we just have to connect them, okay? And then like this one here, which is doing a smaller version of a laptop drive, okay? It'll wipe that data. Got it. All the ones and zeros get reset back to zeros. So in effect, what we're actually looking at here is actually a test bank. These are not units that are being wiped because you're only working with the hard drive. But if these will do 12 at a time, then here you actually have a test bank. That's right. Which is totally different to what I just thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I mean, we can set it all up, wipe them. Maybe it takes about three hours to wipe a disk. Okay. But we can do 48, 124, all at a time. This, this area here, which this is the one that I really love. Yes. Okay. This is, um, this is what we call our audit and test station. Okay. So this small form factor, this yep. is a, a an Dell Optiplex 7010, right. which I know because our software has automatically told us what this is. Yes. It's told us all the specs, tells us the generation, the processor, the RAM. And as we go to, let's say, remarket this one, we know exactly what's working and what's not. All the USB sticks will be checked, the optical drive. And then is if we need to... Within seconds. Within seconds, it tells us. So what we used to do is the technicians, one by one, yeah. would go in and check this, or they could log in to the, you know, sort of hack into the computer and check its manual records, yeah. type it into an Excel sheet, and that's how you would track it. But now, it's an inventory system. But this is giving you the ability to get it back into the environment at a, a much cheaper price point. A single technician previously could audit around 35 to 40 desktops per day. Yeah. They can now do around 200 per day. 100% accuracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now that we know what's wrong with it, we can either fix it, or if it's been guaranteed as working, yes. it's ready to go back out to an NGO in Africa. OK, so um, <clears throat> let's get into the industrial side of things here. This is our incoming queue. This is the outgoing. So all of these monitors, for instance, have been, uh, have been audited and tested. We know that they're all in working condition. Yep. So let's see, uh, let's grab one here. Okay, so we know this one's in good condition. Yep. It'll have a few scuffs on it. Yes. But actually, that's just a top coat. Right. You can easily replace that little piece of plastic on the oh, top okay. because it's what's behind it yes. that has all the technology in there. So yeah. um, these are great. Uh, monitors and they'll get a really good life down in Pakistan or Afghanistan, even uh, into Africa. We just ship 1,400 monitors in a single shot, along with 800 desktops and 500 laptops. Where's the biggest market for you? Is it, is it Pakistan, Afghanistan or? Pakistan's good because of proximity. Yeah. Okay, India has a electronic waste and a, let's say used electronics ban. 
So it has to be used within country. So we can't sell into India. Um, but Africa is great. Africa is really, really good. It's, a, it's a, a market that received a lot of aid work in the 80s and 90s. All that old material is now expired, so it needs to be cleaned up, which is what we do. But we can also put material from the, you know, the last 10 years can go into there. Apple's one of our clients. James was just telling a story about in Apple Canada, um, they caught one of the recyclers basically selling the product, which is, <laughs> that's exactly why companies work with a group like us, yes. is that they know that here it is inside a secure cage within a secure building, within a secure property. But, you know, all of these devices have unique IDs. So that MacBook mm. Pro needs to be destroyed because if it's given away, somebody registers it with their Apple ID, it sends the, you know when it says initializing? Yes or uh, setting up, this will just take a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's querying the database. Yes. And then it goes, wait a second, this one was decommissioned a year ago. Why is it coming back online? And Apple gets a little notification to check in on their recycler mm. to make sure that they're uh, complying. This will be recycled. But what we're doing here is just basically storing it short term. Okay. And then uh, when it's ready to be processed, we'll break it all, we'll remove the batteries, we'll take out the screen and then we'll feed it into the plant where we can then grind it up into its raw materials of aluminium and copper. We can take out the, the motherboard in there which has some gold, some precious metals content. Um, here's, a, you know, here, here's, a, here's a good bird's eye view into what goes on inside of a, a computer, right? Yeah. So, it's your typical MacBook. Love these, okay? Mm. So on the back side, what you're looking at is a, a battery pack, yep. which very flammable. If this becomes punctured, this can start a flame. Okay, yep. you have your optical drive in here. Um, this is where your uh, motherboard is with all your RAM. Here's all of your uh, component inputs. Okay, so we really like taking these things apart because built into here is a lot of gold, silver, platinum, palladium. There's a lot of precious metals and we can actually remove this board in our process and send that off for refining. Wow. They basically melt off all of the precious metals and recover them, okay? The battery contains cobalt, which is going to be the new gold. Yes. Cobalt in short supply and high demand. So Apple themselves are, are very much looking into cobalt and all the other rechargeable device companies uh, are desperate to find solutions for cobalt. Okay, but what we know Apple for, Mm. Very high quality build, yep. good good quality aluminium here. So definitely this can all be recycled and right. um, put back into new products. And Apple's actually using um, a certain percentage. I think they're around 30% now in the new wow. MacBook Pros oh, of recycled content. But right. if you want to look at a, a bigger level, yeah. here's, a, here's a server blade. Yep, yep. Okay, there's all your RAM slots. This is where your CPUs would go. Yep. You've got nice copper on here from your little uh, uh, transformers and inductors okay. all the way along. Okay, but this uh, motherboard itself, if you were to break it open, all these components, the integrated circuits and stuff, are all connected along little tracks. And those tracks are typically copper because copper is a very good conductor, as we know. Yep. That's why there's copper in uh, uh, all electrical devices, okay? Sockets and plugs and cables. But, um, so there's a copper super highway, an integrated network of copper that's sort of built in in a sandwich construction inside this circuit board. But all of these connector pins here for your RAM, 
and all of these pins here for your CPU are coated with gold because gold is actually the best conductor for the signals, the ones and zeros and the starts and stops that we know computers uh, operate on are all gold. And in fact, these guys here, you can see it with a little gold corner. Yes. Okay. So this is a, this is a little um, integrated circuit chip here. If you were to peel this off, like, you know, take it like a grape and just peel it yeah. off, you would see like a little cobweb of gold threads in there because it's passing the information back and forth along all these tracks, like a central hub here. So these little things are the most valuable bits on here. Okay, they got little yeah. gold threads all the way through. And it's amazing that with your process, this can be economic to recycle. It's quite something. At scale. Yeah, yeah at scale. scale. Yeah. You know, these things are, are traded almost like a currency. Wow. Because anybody, who, um, anybody who's got a hammer and a chisel, right, can start an e-waste recycling facility. Mm. All they have to do is start to remove things like this. But this electrical board is a great example of what can go wrong. Because, yes, you've got some transformers in here. Yep. Okay. You've got your inductors, and there's good copper content in here. You've got what's called a heat sink, which we recognize from our air conditioning units. Yes, okay, it uh, does the same job. It's dissipating heat. These guys, what are they? I don't know, actually. Okay. These are capacitors. Oh, same capacitors yeah. that we used to with the okay. okay. So these are capacitors, and what they do is they store energy yep. so that you can get quick shots of energy when you need it. Uh, we remember this from our old cameras. They used to go, they would, they would charge up. That's the capacitor filling up with electricity, and then it flashes. So that's your burst of energy. Um, well, they have an acidic solution in them that in large quantities like this can become toxic. So if you were to throw away, let's say a, a, an informal recycler, would say, I'm going to take the copper content, I'm going to take the aluminium content, we're going to break off anything that might have silver or gold on it, yep. and the rest is worthless. We're going to throw it away. Exactly. Now you might have 5,000 of these concentrated in the landfill and leaching now into the groundwater. So it's a really, really bad idea for these things to go into the landfill. Boy, we could, this, we could go for hours, it's hey? This is, it's absolutely fascinating. It's like toys for boys around here. Oh, yeah. These little guys, these are, uh, these are called uh, tantalum. Okay, and tantalum is a very rare um, element as well. So we like that. We've got all of our CPU and processing chips yep, here. Yep. Okay. So there's gold inside of all of these. There's gold in here and here. All throughout here, there's gold, there's gold, there's gold. So, you know, this little guy, here's a gold plating you, right along would here. Would you be pulling, so would you be uh, like board by board pulling all of this off? Or mm. is this whole process automated all the way down? Because I thought you mentioned that you, you pull first and then you, 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 you pull through your method. So this guy's a good example here. And we'll see if we can open it up quickly. Okay, so here's the server blade. Yep. Okay, so what we would do, we wouldn't put this into the plant as it is. Yeah. Reason being, you've got a couple of uh, basically battery packs right here, ah. okay? So this has one of these built in, okay? A small one, which you can see just through here, regulating the power flow, okay? So this shouldn't go in there, but you do have a good board here with some gold fingers, right? That are controlling how it works. The computer's telling when it needs power and how to switch off and on the fans and things like that. 
But when you look in here, you have all sorts. These are all fans, you know, as we go. And, um, you know, it's a quite a complicated little system, but there's the motherboard that we talked about before. Okay. Where's a little bit of RAM? And the RAM is a little micro, yeah. you know, a little uh, micro system going on here. So there's a lot of really good material on all these things, but this will go to a refinery. Right. And a refinery will use all sorts of special techniques to remove the precious metals. Once we remove, you know, let's say the, the things like this that will go to refinery, then we'll throw the carcass into the plants and remove all the last little yeah, bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll show you what that looks like next. The whole idea behind this concept is yeah, to let the plant do its work. So here's, here's, here's a really good example of what, what I mean when I'm saying that the informal or the low skilled recyclers, I mean, how much of this can you really process? I mean, you, you can start to pull things out with your hands or with some screwdrivers, but how long are you really gonna spend on a printer? Yeah. What they'll probably do is look for that circuit board right here, which has some good value. So four screws later, you've got your circuit board. Now you're looking at a lot of plastic and iron, which this might only fetch you uh, 70 fills. How much time are you gonna spend for 70 fills? You're not. So you're probably either just gonna shred it or you're gonna throw it away. So you've killed the whole cow and all you did was take the filet mignon. And yes, that's a business model for some people. There's so much more left to do. Yeah, yeah. So much more material. There's no reason that this should go into the landfill. Mm -hmm. So this can come here. So in that way, we sort of complement even our competitors. Yes. They'll take it so far and we'll take it the remainder. So let's talk about the plants a little bit here. So what you're looking at is the world's most sophisticated electronic waste recycling plants. Okay, this is all, uh, let's say German technology, Italian pumps and you know, Swiss integration. Uh, this is a really, really high-end uh, plant. But what we're doing is in the first stages here, all of these white cabins that you see is where we have human interaction. So in the first stage, there's nothing super special going on here. What we're just doing is detrashing it. So taking out any of the styrofoam or the packaging, the cardboard, and that'll get thrown down the chute. We're cutting cables so that they don't get caught up in the process. Uh, we're removing batteries, we're breaking glass. I've understood, so that's actually a workroom. Yes, which is why there's the air conditioner on top. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're now in October. I would say it's around, what, maybe 28 to 30 degrees in here? Okay, it's not uncomfortable, but it's warm. Imagine what this is like in the summertime. It, it gets hot. But luckily, our guys and girls are in air-conditioned uh, cabins. Okay, so the only work that's going on here is usually with the forklifts and the, the grabbers. So the material goes up a conveyor belt. We're gonna pre-process it here, remove some things that we don't wanna go into the plants and then goes down this chute into what we call the stairway to heaven. You can imagine what happens at the end of the stairway to heaven. They actually don't meet their maker, they meet the Terminator. And what the Terminator is, is a gigantic shredder. Right. You can imagine industrial sized grizzly bear claws oh. that are just ripping things open and, and tearing them apart so that we can now get access to what's inside yes. and stuff will start to fall off. So what we'll see when we're done with the Terminator is you'll still recognize things and stuff. Yeah. So you'll see a, a, a 
a piece of a brass coupling. You'll see um, a section of a printer that is ripped into shreds. So you'll still recognize things. Um, but that'll go into a new cabin where we can now access the battery, we can access the little oil canister, maybe um, a toner cartridge got missed and we were able to pull it out at that stage. So it's another level of refining, you could say, for the product and preparation. But after that, total destruction. We're getting into the heavy stuff after that. Oh, here's, a, here's another one. This is, you know, we I always love the, the networking equipment because you, you really get a good bird's eye view of, of, of what's inside of a computer, okay? So here you'll have some nice copper uh, inductors and some transformers. Okay, here's the transformers here, okay? But you've also got little fuses, okay? You've got more capacitors, which we talked about earlier. So there's some, some nasty things that need to come out and that'll come out in the process. After they meet the terminator, a lot of these capacitors will start to fall off or at least be accessible. So we can now break them off and pull them out. That's why this plant is actually really critical for electronics like this. Uh, we, can, we can get access to the things that others would just throw away. But if you look at a, a hard drive, for instance, okay? Here's a computer hard drive. And on the inside, you've got a little palladium coated platter, this little disc right here, which stores your information. You've got a little bit of steel on the inside, okay? But on the back side, we've got, again, a motherboard with a little bit of gold coating and gold teeth and connectors, right? So here's a larger version for a desktop computer. These little actuators right here, which this little thing, it's like, it looks like a record player, right? Yes, it does. Well, there's a little magnet that goes here that flicks this back and forth, and that's how it writes the ones and the zeros. Yes. And all your data gets written, okay? That's a little grinding sound that you hear in your computer. It's the, it's the tick-tock of the magnet and the actuator interacting, okay? Well, the magnet, because we're working with a lot of metals, the magnet kind of messes things up for us. So we'll pop out the magnet early on, and now what's left over is a high-grade aluminum case, a really nice computer board, a little bit of steel, and a little bits of plastic, all of which are recyclable. So this is 100% recyclable. Same thing here. There's a little casing for it. Usually either stainless steel or aluminum. Either which way, nice little piece of metal right there. You could say the most valuable thing, and that's for input to output. So by volume and by value, yes. this is a copper facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a copper facility. There's so much of it, and it's so hard to get to. The guys with the, you know, a chisel and a hammer are not gonna spend the time to remove all this by hand. It's just, it's not valuable enough. But once you put it into our grinder, it'll, it'll liberate itself naturally. Oh, this thing's pretty cool. So, remember I was telling you before that toner cartridges are explosive. Okay, because the powder, obviously has, uh, in large quantities, has a potential to ignite. Now, if we were to throw the toner cartridges in with the rest of this process, there's a lot of banging and clanging and shredding and crushing and pounding. There's a potential for a spark anywhere along the way, which means that a high concentration of toner powder could cause an explosion. Okay? So we have the regions only toner cartridge processing module. Oh, wow. 
So what happens here is the toner cartridges get fed in one by one. Right. They'll go up this chute where they're sort of ground in a small mill over there. And you can see all the fire suppression systems along yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we're also mixing this with, a, with an inert chemical to suppress any sort of potential for a spark. It sucks the oxygen out of the air with this little powder. And by that way, we can then grind these, um, we can grind these toner cartridges down because if we go to the other side, what I'll show you is that there's a small uh, steel rod yeah. that's underneath this aluminum tube, yes. which is in a plastic casing, which has a small gold connector pins, yeah. okay? So there's actually really good stuff can be recovered from this if you can get it to it. But again, your, your typical recycler, uh, informal recycler, is not gonna spend any time trying to get 30 fills worth of value out of this, but we can crush thousands a day. Yeah. Oops. So, what are we looking at here? So, all right, athlete. So here's your typical toner cartridge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We all recognize these if we, you know, get adventure enough, adventurous enough to uh, clean our and change our toners out. So what's inside here though is a few springs. You've got some uh, small motors. You've got some plastic gears. But inside here, you've got a little aluminum tube, which is driven by a little steel rod. Okay. And as we crush this and all the powder comes out, here's where you can see that little steel rod, yeah. okay, with some little foam rollers, okay, here. So there's a nice piece of steel, yes. okay, underneath. Great for recycling. This is gonna continue on and end up at the end of our process as a tiny little fraction. We might see this screw, you know, in a few days when this goes through the plant. We'll see the little bits of plastic liberated from that screw and, uh, all this will come apart nicely. And that roller that we talked about is actually aluminum. Yes. It's a really nice, clean piece of aluminum. And this will go directly back into the production cycle. We'll send this off to the, to the smelter. They'll melt it down into what are called ingots, which are like little aluminum bricks. Yeah, yeah. And they'll sell that off to the manufacturers, make wow. new toner cartridges. Oh. And the material all gets shredded it comes out into another cabin where a group of, uh, of, of our helpers will be picking out things like transformers and motors and capacitors, things, things, right, that you would recognize, things that have broken off during the shredding process. We can pick out by hand because they're pretty much ready to be recycled in that form, okay? But from there, they'll have some clean material that will go either this way, up into one of the mills, where it'll start to get ground down, or it'll go back this way and it'll pass across the, uh, the uh, ferrous um, magnet. Yep. So this is a series of magnets mm -hmm. on a belt that are just picking out anything that's iron yep. all along the way because that'll go on to a separate process. But this is sort of the nexus. This is the, this is the hub of the plant where material starts to go in different directions. Yes. The plastics will start to go one way, the metals will start to go another, um, we've got optical sorting later on, we've got milling, we've got more shredding, we've got more magnets. So this is the end of module two, and we go on to module three, where now we start, the power of this plant is all from this section onwards. And it's amazing that your, your dust 
collection is absolutely everywhere. When you actually tune into it, every stage of the process is dust collection. Uh -huh. So no wonder this is, uh, you know, the, your indoor air quality is, is still really good. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, the fans aren't even on right now. Yes. Once you yeah, turn yeah. on the exhaust fans, you could drop the temperature in here 10 degrees in a hot day. Okay, so now that we've turned things, we've shredded them into stuff. The stuff now becomes commodities. It's, it's unrecognizable once it goes into Thor's hammer. And this hammer mill is basically pulverizing all the material down into granules. It's like a, some of it can be anywhere from a fine powder to the little aluminum balls that we saw. They'll get, they'll get sort of gummed up and balled up in the hammer mill, okay? And that allows us to then create material of similar size. Once you have material of similar size, you know that iron is gonna be much heavier than plastic. So now you can start to separate it by weight. You know that aluminum is gonna be lighter than copper, so you can start to, so, now you see how once you break the material down to a certain size, you can start to work it. Yes. You can start to work with it and separate it, okay? So I'll see if I can find some material. Okay, so here's a typical output from the mill. Okay, look, we, we're in luck. We found a thing. Okay, we've got a brass thing. That's great, that'll just get separated out very nicely, maybe even picked out along the way. We've got a little piece of aluminum. Okay, that looked like some sort of a, a tie. Maybe one of those Ikea wrenches. Okay, remember that wiring harness we saw earlier? Okay, there's a piece of it's come out. There's some of the copper that's all twisty. That, to me, looks like that might have been part of a transformer, part of an inductor, something, you know, that they were using the copper for. But if we really get down into it, you can see some plastics, there's some glass in there. Okay, there'll be some tin, but oh, there's a piece of a motherboard. Okay, and there's another little piece of a motherboard. So we're really, we're really getting down to work now. Oh, here's a piece of gold. That little pin, right there. There's a gold pin. You see it? So here's a great example. We'll put the copper there too. There's a great example of uh, everything that we're searching for in this process. So like I said about grinding a pepper mill, there's your pepper powder and here's your pepper granules. And this will go on further for separation into the octopus, okay? And the larger material will head on into this section where we've got an optical sorter. And the optical sorter is only looking for motherboards. Only. Only motherboards. Little. Once, once we, mom would be so proud. Once, <laughs> once we crush everything down, right? Remember I said one of the valuable things in this whole electronics uh, thing is the motherboard. That's yes. where the precious metals are. Um, well, th they're usually always either green or tan color or blue. So this optical sorter can recognize those and separate it from plastic, for instance. Let's see if we can find... There's more of the plastic, as we talked about. Um, I'll try and find us some plastic chips along with some PC board chips. So, as the material gets ground up, and it goes through the process, okay, you'll see little bits of plastic mixed in with the motherboards. Mm. Now, if this is passed over the magnet, 
we know that there's no iron in here. Okay, so this is all either non-ferrous, plastic, or PC boards. Now, we don't know the difference between this and cardboard by weight. Yes. Okay, but our optical sorter recognizes that these are PC boards. By color. By color. So there's a really cool process. It'll recognize it optically, and then there's a series of small air jets. And as it comes down the conveyor belt, it, Blows it. times it no. perfectly that that gets flicked away into a separate bin. And you end up with clean, cleaned plastic. That is amazing. And a bin full of motherboard chips. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Let's see if we can find any here. So that's that guy, and then it goes up here. And this is a, another uh, air-conditioned cabin where... Uh... Okay, so after, after these two materials, which are by weight and by size, very similar. Yes. After they go through the optical sorter, the optical sorter will afflict all of these little PC board chips into one of these bins, and all of the plastics will go out into another bin. So you can still recognize that this has probably come from a printer or some keyboards. Um, you know, but they're still remarkably large chips. Yeah, they're big. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's multi-processors here. So you would feed this back into another machine to break this down further, would you? No, this will go now directly to the refinery because look what we've done. We've broken the plastic off that, that pin. This might have been from ram sticks. Got you. We've broken it off, we've exposed it. The, the, the refiner, this is like caviar for the refinery. <laughs> they love this stuff. <laughs> now, by volume, we're talking like 0.01% yes. of our material ends up like this and 30% ends up like that. So, you know, definitely this is the, the high value but low volume stuff and this is the low value, high volume stuff that we have to treat, but electronics manufacturers want this. It's the same material that they just used. Whoever, you know, if this was part of a printer, they're just gonna make another printer yeah. out of this. So they want this plastic and we can ship this off to uh, reputable downstream recyclers who will prepare this material to go back into the production cycle. Mm. What sort of percentages can they merge yeah, into the so process? Think, so for plastics, for instance, what percentage could, you, uh, could a, oh. a manufacturer reasonably use? Jeez, well, um, I would say hypothetically 100% recycled, hypothetically. Oh, yeah. But when you're talking about, let's say, Lenovo laptops, yes. like high-performance machines, mm. they want to be 100% certain exactly what type of plastic that is. Sure. And you know if there's any imperfections in that plastic, because the last thing you want is your computer overheating and it starts to melt the casing because you, yeah. So, yeah. so they're, they're very careful about how they're mixing it in, but facilities like this play a critical part of the production cycle in the circular economy because we have a consistent quality, predictable output. Yes. So when they're working with us, they, they want to find facilities like ours to say, I know that your machinery is going to separate it to the level that I can even use because that, that bag of stuff that that guy dropped off at our plant, we don't even know what that is yeah. and where it came from. So, you know, this is a very, very valuable part of the production cycle. They know that our non-ferrous bags of, uh, of fractions are not gonna contain any iron. Iron would be an imperfection for that process. So they're happy with our process. They'll come down, they'll audit us sure. and just take a scoop from a bag and say, okay, put that on the, under the microscope and let's see if there's any iron. Put a magnet over top of it, see how it's going and it's really, really clean. And I'll show you how we polish that material in module 4.1.
Um, so, so here's some recent output actually from the plant. And um, I'll, take, I'll take a handful of this because where we, where we polish it up is, uh, or here, you take this one because this is the four to eight. So in terms of polishing, what you're actually talking about is improving the accuracy of it being what you're saying it is. That exactly, exactly. Because what will end up is you'll, you'll have some, um, you'll have some aluminium mixed in there with yeah. your, uh, uh, some plastic mixed in with your aluminium because at a certain size, they're almost indistinguishable. So am I right in thinking here that they've got brass, aluminium, and um, copper? Yes, effectively. But it's very distinct which one is which, so you've done your job extremely well. So, yeah, and, and these are the three different sizes. Uh, yeah, okay? yeah. So let's head on over there and we'll, we'll talk about how we do these things. So, th so this one here in particular, if you, you uh, don't touch it though, it might yeah, be no, static charged. But this is basically, um, it's, a, it's like an eddy current, uh, electrostatic kind of thing, right? So there's two chutes, okay? And you can imagine, remember you used to go to uh, the birthday parties and rub the balloon on your head? Yes. And you get that static charge. Yeah. Well, that will actually push the plastic a little further than it pushes the metal. Got it. So the metal will fall straight down and the plastic will go just a little further. And so we're getting nice plastic output here. And then this is what's not yet finished. Yes. So you'll see some, this is where the copper wires are typically uh, yeah, found, yeah, yeah. little bits them. of aluminium. Yep. So we'll continue to work this material until you've got clean plastic and clean copper and oh, aluminium yeah. output. And then this one here, so this is another one of our, you could say like the polishing type machines. Yeah, perfect. So this is where we're getting nice clean oh, yeah. aluminium output. So the, the plastic and the alu, okay? A little bits of copper. This is where, by size and by weight, it's a little bit difficult for us to separate these at that point. So, but I mean, you can see like how little it is. Yes. But this is actually where we use uh, our new hires and our training procedures to show the guys and get them hands-on with the material to understand by weight that copper feels the same as the brass, feels the same as the aluminum ball. But what we're doing in this section, if you can show me your hand, we're now separating by size. Yes. And in your hand, we're gonna find primarily brass. You can see it, the gold colored stuff. You're gonna see some tin in there. This is a little piece of tin right there. Okay, that one there. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, it's a little tin. Uh, that might've been holding a USB stick. Yes. Okay, uh, you've got nice copper. The copper is excellent, but there's the brass, yep. okay because by size, that's the kind of things we're expecting to see of that size. Mm. Now, if we go a little smaller, okay, you might start to find a little bit more um, potential for gold-plated things, okay? So there might be like a little stick in there somewhere, or like this could be like a little piece of uh, gold plating, okay? But not quite. It's basically still the non-ferrous materials at this point. But go one size smaller, and now you really see the profile changes. This is where you actually will even see visual gold, okay? There'll be bits of silver in here, okay? Platinum, palladium, you might find. Less copper at this stage, but here's, see, there's a gold, there's a gold pin right there. Let's see if we can isolate it, okay? So there's a gold pin. Now by size, that won't end up in here. 
Yes. But by size, that'll end up in here. So this is actually a very valuable mixture oh, with high precious deep. metals potential compared to these. So this will go off to a, a smelter who's looking for the copper, the tin, um, the lead, all that kind of stuff. And this will go to a refinery who's going to target the precious metals. Not so concerned about aluminium. In fact, the, the, you know, the, it's kind of a wastage for them, the aluminium, um, versus these guys who want it. So that's how we work with the, the downstream guys. And in the final stage, when we're done, this is it. Yay. So here's, here's you know, bags of, of fractions ready to go. The big bags are the filter dust. Wow. They're getting ready to be shipped out. And this will all head off to the refineries. Here's the dust. Anything that you can see that even sparkles is gold. Wow. Any, any glint that you can see is gold. So, some real value. You'd think so, but you know, by pound, you're looking at parts per million right. at this stage. Okay. That was Dustin Chernowski, trade director at EnviroServe, giving us a hands-on tour from start to finish, from when product comes into the plant to when the ingredients, the raw materials, leave the plant after they have been well, recycled. Refrigeration is where this all started. If you rewind to the very start of this show, Stuart Fleming was talking about refrigerants being how they got their feet wet in this area of recycling. Let's have a chat with a refrigeration expert, Ronald Viscal. He's going to share with us his journey into e-waste and refrigerants. At a point in time in my life, I decided it was time to stop wandering the world and I came back from don't laugh, the Caribbean. I had a job in the Caribbean and uh, I didn't like it anymore because it was scuba diving every day, it wasn't good. <laughs> so I came back to Holland in a, in a time where there was no jobs and there was no nothing. And a friend of mine uh, from the US calls me, he says, have you ever heard of the Montreal Protocol? I said, I have no idea. So I started reading up on the Montreal Protocol, basically that you needed to protect the uh, ozone layer by uh, not, uh, at that time, um, venting uh, CFC refrigerants, I-12. And I got into automotive AC machines for the, the, the recycling of the automotive AC and the recharging. There's, there's one sitting around here someplace, I don't know where. And um, got into that and in my previous life, I worked with Nissan in Japan and the US and the Caribbean and in Amsterdam and I was responsible for the air conditioning line. So I knew a lot about automotive air conditioning and I've started in Europe selling these special tools and equipment for automotive air conditioning, especially on recovering and recycling it, the gas. One thing leads to the other, so in the end, I ended up with a company that has right now about 25% automotive and 75% HVAC, and when I say HVAC, it means that we do all the tools and equipment that you need to professionally install, maintain, and decommission an AC system or a refrigeration system. And this is where the crux is. When you decommission or when you maintain or when you repair, the gas inside goes out. And when the gas inside goes out, it eats away at the ozone layer. Now, Mostly that is taken care of because the refrigerant that we're treating here right now is refrigerant 134A, which is a non-ozone depleting refrigerant. 
but it is a huge greenhouse gas. One kilogram of 134A uh, equals 1,430 uh, CO2 equivalents. So all the stuff that you do to, to limit your CO2 emissions, if you leak just 10 grams of, that, of, of your refrigerant in your car or in your air conditioning at home, the whole gain is lost. So in Europe, the US, Japan, Australia, um, there's extremely strict rules on handling refrigerants. And there's a lot of knowledge about how to recover refrigerant. But when you recover refrigerant, you can reuse it. Refrigerant by itself does not go bad. It just goes dirty. It's like your clothes. So what we have here is we have washing machines for refrigerant. And that's what we're doing right now. Now these machines, uh, these two are actually a little bit older. They, they were installed in 2005 and they were sent back to the factory last year to get overhauled. But the original compressor that was there was no longer available, so now we have a much stronger compressor and that creates some issues. So we're here to fine-tune the machines. And uh, it looks like we got it licked. So what this does, you take dirty refrigerant that comes out of a chiller, or that comes out of uh, uh, many, many home ACs, or... or uh, That's what's that was, that was come to you in all these different Right. Right. It's dirty. It's contaminated. It has high boiling particles. It has acid. It has moisture. It has oil. And it has what we call non-condensables, which means air or nitrogen or anything that doesn't condense. All that gets sucked into this machine. Is, this machine is sorting it out. It basically it takes, takes out the oil, takes out the high boiling particles, takes out the moisture. Uh, it takes out everything except for the non-boiling, uh, the, uh, the high um, non-condensable gases. Non-condensable gases, we have a, an outside, well, outside of this machine feature that takes some time and we just blow off, slowly blow off the, uh, the air. After that's done, we uh, run some tests on the moisture indicator, we run some tests on the high boiling particles, and we can actually also offer a full uh, AHRI uh, analysis of the refrigerant. Once this is done, it should meet the uh, AHRI 700-2016, you can look it up on Google, <laughs> standard, which basically specifies the amounts of certain contaminants per refrigerant. Now the AHRI 700-2016 is very, very strict. Whereas uh, OEMs like um, Johnson Controls or Train and some other ones for the larger um, uh, chiller units, they are much more lenient on the, on the, on the standards. So depending on to what, what standards you wanted, we can do this quick or we can do it extreme and get you, get you to the AHRI 700. And um, that's the long and the short of it. And the gas is as good if not better in fact, especially when you look at moisture, um, moisture and non-condensables. If you if you buy from a store a, a, a disposable bottle of refrigerant and you would run it through the AHRI test, five out of ten don't meet the standard. Really? And, but they're you know they're good enough to work. 
but they, they don't meet the standards. It's not because the manufacturer is, is doing the wrong thing. Most of the issues come into play when people start filling it. Uh, the, the, the real high quality refrigerants, the real high quality suppliers, they have very, very expensive charging equipment that takes care of all the, uh, you know, the cylinders that you have and the, and the moisture in the air, etc., etc. Um, lesser Brothers use a little bit different outlook on that. Now, there's another thing. I just mentioned disposable cylinders. Worldwide, there's a trend to move away from disposable cylinders. Disposable cylinders is extremely convenient for the technician because it's relatively lightweight. You can carry it anywhere, and after you're done, you dump it. However, there's two, two issues with that. First of all, it's a total waste of materials on, on the steel that's used, even though it's just a little bit steel. But if you have a, a, a container load of uh, disposable cylinder like you see there there's 1100 cylinders in that container 1100 of those cylinders eventually end up in a landfill it's a waste not only that the heel the, the, the little bit of refrigerant that's still in there that you cannot get out goes into the atmosphere so it's it, when when envirosurf started back in 2005 uh, Stuart, the, the the founder and, and i we actually did some tests we collected about 300 um, empty disposable cylinders. In the end, we ended up with close to 30% of the volume still in the cylinders. So it's huge, it's humongous. And that's what we want to prevent. So, in the GCC, Bahrain is taking the lead on this. Bahrain is actually from January 1st, is prohibiting the use of disposable cylinders to start off with, with R22. So we have a huge panic now in Bahrain, even though it's a small country, that people say, what do we do with R22? Where do we get R22? So now we have some of my customers scrambling to set up filling facilities with refillable cylinders, like the, the ones you see there. Which is the standard in Europe, which is the standard in, the, in Australia, which is the standard in Japan. And the idea is that in the Middle East, in the next, hopefully, 10 years, we will say goodbye to disposable cylinders. And then when you have refillable cylinders, people are more interested in taking the old refrigerant out and bringing it back at a small, small something. So that's the, uh, the long and the short of it. And how long does the process take to clean Ah, very good question. Now, just imagine, you look dapper today, you're, you're, you're doing an interview, you don't get dirty too much. So if you give this to your wife tonight, it'll, it'll be clean in the morning. But by the same token, you could be sand duning, and it's very, very dirty, and she'll have to wash it three, four times. So it all depends on how dirty the refrigerant is, and how dirty the refrigerant is mainly, mainly means how much moisture do you have in, this, in the refrigerant and how much oil? And those two factors basically dictate your, uh, the time of, 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 of the reclaim. Are, are you finding the refrigerant you're getting generally is pretty dirty? Or is yes. It, yeah. and, and one of the reasons for that is, and that's another thing that we're trying to teach, and we, we set up uh, 
actually I was instrumental also in, in Bahrain with the uh, Khalifa Institute where they, they, they train technicians how to recover refrigerant and how to bring it to a, a, a reclaim center. But at the same time, we use the opportunity to tell the guys, you know, guys, if, 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 you, if your install is proper and professional, you don't have that many issues. You don't have that many breakdowns. Because what's happening is when people are brazing, they don't use nitrogen. When you, when you don't use, use nitrogen when you're brazing, the inside of your tubes become contaminated. The contamination will actually acidify your oil. Your oil acidifies, your compressor windings go bad. So it's one, one step to the other. And that's what, unfortunately, we're finding in, uh, in, in a lot of countries where, the, where there's no proper technician training, we're finding some issues with quality. So better trained technicians means cleaner gas, means easier to recycle and, and, right. and clean and reuse. Right, and it's, and it's better for, your, for, your, for the consumer. It's also better for the environment in the sense that when you have a well-running system, it uses less electricity, so you, use, you put less CO2 in the atmosphere. So it all, it all hooks together. It's got to make you happy at the end of the day. And, and that's, that's why this is my hobby. It's, and you're laughing, but it's, I'm serious about that. I'm, I, I love washing refrigerant. So we, we do that, uh, we do the worldwide. We have a lot of countries in the Middle East. We, uh, we have systems in, in Europe. We have systems in Colombia, in Argentina, Mexico, all over the place. It's fun. Awesome. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Appreciate that. That was refrigeration expert Ronald Viscal talking to us about refrigeration. And there you have it. Everything you wanted to know and more about e-waste and how it is being managed right here on the e-waste day podcast 2020 with enviroserve.org. My name's James Pikeaway. Thank you very much for listening. Please share the link. If you got any questions for us, fire them away to enviroserve.org or fire them over to me, potaholics with a K at gmail.com. Happy to answer them. And of course, thank you very much to Arches Audio for our intro and outro music. Again, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you again really soon.